welcome to the Kids That Guilt 4th Annual Holiday Extravaganza, featuring our co-hosts, Chef Bell and Aaron Sunday. And now, from the Kids That Guilt Operations Center at the North Pole, here's X and Cooney. Hey! Move that shit! Where do you want it? Bay 12, please. All right, I'll meet you in the office. <laughs> hey, everybody, welcome to the fourth annual Kiss the Goat holiday extravaganza. After years of taking it on the chin from Santa, you know, asking him for things and not getting them, X and I finally got sick of all that shit, and we've taken over Santa's workshop. Fuck you, fat man! So, not only are we dealing with all the general Christmas garbage, but we've also turned the place into the Where the Goat headquarters. We got so many orders coming in for Kiss the Goat merchandise, we're taking them out of a whole new door. Not to mention, we got piles of virgins to ship out for the solstice sacrifices. And those virgins are hard to come by. We import them in from Maine. Why Maine? I, I don't know. I was going to make a joke about Banger, but I couldn't make it work. <laughs> Anyway, t-shirts, wrapping paper, virgins, authentic pieces of wood from the cross of Christ. Also from Maine. We got so much going on that we've been forced to look for an assistant. Well, be honest. All the elves quit. Yeah, probably the only workers in the whole fucking world who actually like their boss. Yeah, well, they started yelling about insurance and paid vacation and how we shouldn't have hobbled Santa and Mrs. Claus. Blah, blah, blah. That got annoying fast. We were like, bitches, the North Pole is a right-to-work pole, and if you don't like it, hit the highway. And they did. Left us here by ourselves with all this shit to do. You know what? It's fine. Fuck those little bastards. We don't need them. Yes, we do. This is an overwhelming amount of work. We've got this show to do. We've got t-shirts and flasks to ship out. Not to mention Christmas for the entire world. So in desperation, we've placed an advertisement on some internet job boards for an assistant. People have been saying we need professional help for years now. Yeah, well, I hope we get some decent applicants. Yeah, who's that guy who keeps calling? The, the angry ginger? I don't think he even lives around here. Right? I mean, this is grunt work. You can't telecommute here. Obviously, we're still going to do the show, but... Ah, God, see? There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Look, bear with us. We're just going to have to take a few phone calls. Grab that, would you, Cootie? I got it. Kiss the goat. This is Cootie. <laughs> Hello? Please stop. Hello? I know what you're There's no Bobby here. I can't understand you. Just hang up. Look, look. Just send us your resume and we'll take a look at it, okay? Thank you. Was that an obscene phone call? I think, maybe? It was really hard to tell. There was a baby crying in the background, all sorts of shit. Who makes obscene phone calls anymore? Have those horny assholes not heard of Pornhub? It's free! Look, we hate to have this going on during the show, but sorry kids, it's best for business. Speaking of best for business... Hello, this is the Doom Show. Keep on keeping on and keep on trucking, America. We don't listen to our feedback because we don't get any. <laughs> <laughs> the truth hurts. I just alienated the two people that give us constant feedback. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's gotta go. <laughs> That's gotta go in there. <laughs> 
so on the show, uh, we talk about giallo movies and slasher movies and cult movies. Sometimes we even talk about Cameron Mitchell and his movies. I am Richard. Who are you? I am Brad, the guy that's not Richard or Jeffrey or Simon. That's right. We have four people and we always talk at once, except to each other. Jeffrey lives up north. Simon lives across the world. Richard lives in Penis, Alabama. Hello, This is the Doom Show is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Check out the other shows on legionpodcast.com. You can check out more Hello, This is the Doom Show at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com or at doommoviethon.com. Check for our Amazon-exclusive Hello, This is the Doom Show cookbook. Do you like hot dogs? (laughs) We got them. Do you like mac and cheese? We got it. Do you like cheddar? We have it. Actually, we don't. No, no cheddar. Just Colby. Colby Jack. Hello, this is the Doom Show. We never gave up on you because you never gave up on us. Wow. And now, a cootie Christmas story. I had the privilege of growing up in a rural part of Tennessee. You see those Christmas cards that have cute paintings of a little house in the woods, smoke curling up from a chimney with a glistening layer of snow on the ground? That is a perfect depiction of my childhood home. It was pastoral, gorgeous, a beautiful traditional country home. I remember when I was 16 back in 1993 when my folks asked me to go out in the pine thicket and choose the Christmas tree we would cut down and decorate. I was so excited. This was an honor. I bundled up and trudged out into the snow to pick out the tree my whole family would celebrate the holiday around. I must have been gone for a couple of hours, but I finally found the perfect tree. I built a small snowman at the base of the tree to mark it and went back to tell my family the good news. But they were gone. They locked me out. I banged on the windows and shouted, but the house was empty. Now, I don't know if you were 1993, but that was the year of our last big blizzard. I smoked at the time, so I did have a lighter with me and a clearing in the woods where I could build a fire. It snowed and snowed, and if it weren't for the thick canopy of trees over my head, I would have been covered. I burned pine needles. I found small sticks. They were moist, but not totally wet. It took them a while to catch fire, but through constant vigilance, I was able to keep the fire going and protected. I would venture out through the gigantic snowdrifts to find some larger pieces of wood, dragging them back to camp where I was finally able to build a small shelter. I ate pine cones. I fashioned a ski mask out of pine needles and dead leaves. I gathered small red winter berries and swallowed them whole because they were bitter when I chewed them. Eventually, I was reduced to capturing squirrels by the tail and bashing their skulls in against trees, drinking their warm blood and devouring hunks of their furry flesh, tearing them apart with my teeth. After weeks of losing my humanity in that frozen forest, regressing into a feral form, becoming an animal with torn clothing and patches of frostbite turning black on my hands and feet, the snow began to melt. And I heard a car. I clambered back to the house, moving close to the ground on all fours, sniffing the air. Yes, my family had finally returned. I briefly considered staying in the woods and rejecting humanity altogether. Certainly there was an appeal to that that I could not deny, but I felt a pull to rejoin my family. So I jumped up onto the front porch 
They were surprised to see me, of course. And the first thing my sister asked me was, did you get the Christmas tree? I had left the house in December. It was March when they returned home, having gone to the beach to avoid the harsh winter. They were all tan and fit, looking great, and I, I still had bits of squirrel stuck to my face. And that's why I'm a vegetarian. Happy holidays, everyone. I, th I thought the blizzard of 1993 happened in April. Shut it. God damn it, there's the phone again. Thank you for calling Good Burger, home of the Good Burger, may I take your order? Is it Aaron? I want to talk to Aaron. Aaron, is that you? I want to talk. Give me the Gorham phone. I don't think that's Aaron. Oh, yeah, I remember now. She's spending the holidays with her family. <laughs> family? What are you talking about? Nobody spends the holiday with their family. Outrageous. Absurd. So, who's going to do the holiday bringing point? Well, I guess we are. Well, fuck a doodle do. That must mean it's time for a little bit of black-hearted holiday mayhem with the breaking point. I think it's time that we start talking about a divorce. I need a divorce. Here, sign these. I'm leaving. And I want a divorce. What, you're saying what, you want a divorce? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, maybe I do. Well, I'm an adult man, And I don't need any of this. I don't need this stuff. And I don't need you. I don't need anything except this. I tell you, that's the only thing I need is this. I just want to be left the hell alone. Are you asking me for a divorce? Actually, Erin did send us a delightful holiday story to share for this segment. She did? You never check your email. That... That is not true. I open every single Adam and Eve advertisement I get. Those aren't messages. Those are the absolute definition of messages. And they have pictures of naked women and dildos. Do you want to hear about a killer Santa or not? It's garbage day! I, I, I don't know what you're on about, but I do know that in 2011, Christmas turned incredibly grim in Grapevine, Texas. Texas. <laughs> the murderer was named Aziz Yastenpana, say that five times fast, and he showed up to his estranged wife's apartment on Christmas morning dressed as Santa Claus. His children were less than impressed with his attempt at holiday cheer. Aziz, also known as Bob, <laughs> Bob? Bob. His daughter texted a friend saying, Awesome. I guess he's trying to be father of the year. That's an award he definitely did not deserve. A family friend said Bob was jealous of his wife's success after their separation. He had expected her to crash and burn, but her brother had given money to her and her children. Bob had not worked for over a decade. When the bank foreclosed on the family home, her brother stepped in and paid for an apartment for them. Bob had a key to the apartment and times stopped in to visit the children. Bob and his ex-wife, Fatima, seemed to be on good terms. 
Apparently not. Santa Bob murdered his wife, their two teenage children, his wife's sister, his brother-in-law, and his niece before turning the gun on himself. Bob also placed a 911 call after the shooting, asking for help and uttering the phrase, shooting people. Bob also placed a gun on his brother-in-law's body in an attempt to make it look like there was more than one shooter. Now, this crime is practically unfathomable. A father murdering his children is bad enough, but murdering his other relatives and trying to pin the crime on one of them is reprehensible. A local police sergeant was quoted as saying, Sometimes there's not a really good explanation. That's some good detective work there, Lou. Christmas is a difficult time for a lot of people. And while it is totally fucking bizarre that this dude went all silent night, deadly night on his family, depression around the holidays is nothing to make fun of. I mean, we get, we get dark around here. But maybe not that fucking dark. So before you take the step of dressing up like St. Nicholas and harming yourself or someone you love, like, or even know on a casual basis, like Susan from accounting, please take a moment before doing anything you'll regret and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. It's just the holidays, dude. I know they could be shitty, but you can get through them. 1-800-273-8255. Well... I am heartwarmed. I am warm cockled. Are you watching porn again? Yeah. <laughs> Hot girls of Maine. It's just lobsters. It's just girls with lobsters and whoopie pies. We'll be back with our holiday movie right after this. Are you sick of the same old stale podcast? Well, then join Vanessa and David as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room, where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on iTunes, and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VDClinicPod or email them at VDClinicPod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. And still, they just might be contagious. Get information or a pamphlet at most pharmacies or a health clinic. If you need help, see a doctor. And now, a holiday story from X. When I was a kid, before the family kind of scattered around the country, we used to all congregate at my grandmother's house for Christmas, and there were lots of people. My grandparents, my family, my aunt and uncle and their kids, various friends and business partners. Sometimes relatives would venture down from the frozen tundra of Indiana. I didn't always know everybody, but that was okay, because there were always butter mints in the candy dish and those gigantic fucking lights on the tree you know the ones that would give you an instant third degree burn if you accidentally grazed them with your hand but with all those people milling around the house you can imagine all the gifts that were piled up under the tree it was crazy man just 
crazies everywhere. And in that tumult, every once in a while, the tags would get knocked off or disappear. So there'd be presents under the tree and no one would know who they were for. So if you were playing Santa and handing out gifts, there would be a moment of confusion. But, you know, you toss it back under the tree and you wait until the hill of presents dwindles a bit. You can focus on it and see who recognizes the wrapping paper and deduce who the parcel is for. I know that now. When I was like 10, things like that didn't occur to me because I was 10 and it was Christmas. That was a selfish little shit. So I just figured if it didn't have the old tagger on it, it was for me. So I found a package with no gift tag on it. I just tore into it. It was a rectangular box, so I knew it was closed, which was not my favorite thing to get, but fuck it, right? I mean, you know, maybe it was a cool new t-shirt. As long as it wasn't socks, I was cool. So I ripped the paper off, and I opened the box, and I crumpled the tissue paper that's inside the box up into a ball, and I throw it behind the tree. And inside the box was a negligee. No idea what that was at the time. I just knew it was clothing. It seemed a little big for me, but you know, that happens at Christmas. That's why you keep receipts. So all I knew was it was something you wear, and at Christmas, the thing you do is you try on your new clothes and you show everyone. So I went into another room with the box. I took the flimsy thing out. I figured out how to put it on, which is why I have a very strange knowledge of how spaghetti straps work. I don't think there are any pictures of me wandering into my grandmother's living room wearing nothing but a fire engine red negligee, showing it off to my family and twirling about like Stevie Nicks. Everyone was horrified. The room was silent, but for a moment, I felt so free more like myself than I ever had before. It was glorious. I can't remember who broke the silence, but all of a sudden, there were people demanding that I take it off because I'm not supposed to wear things like that. That's for your mom, you know, things like that. So Christmas ended early that year, but that's why I often wear my wife's skirts. Merry Christmas to me. I got it. Ghostbusters, what do you want? Why haven't you checked the children? Hold on. X, have you checked the children yet? Yeah, they're fine. Are you sure? I just looked. They're fine. Okay. Yeah, dude, everything's cool. Th thanks for calling, though. That was weird. Yeah, man. I'm getting a lot of freaks calling in tonight. Ugh. <sighs> Ugh. Uh, my turn. 911, please state the nature of your emergency. Hello, John Klein. Honey, honey, do you know a John Klein? My name is Uh, no, never heard of him. Wrong number, bro. My name is You know what? Fuck it. We've been in this workshop for days trying to get all this shit done. Let's take a break. Drink some drinks, watch a movie. Yeah? I'm pretty sure our listeners want to know what you're drinking. Well, just rum and coke. That's boring. Uh, says you, wine girl. Well, yeah, but nobody gives a fuck what I'm drinking. You're the drunky boy around here. Okay, yes. I'm the <laughs> drunky boy. 
I'm drinking rum and coke, but you should see the fucking cup I'm using. I got it from a Circle K. Were there strange things afoot at the Circle K? There are always strange things afoot <laughs> at the Circle K. <laughs> but this mug holds 44 ounces. It's fracking huge. So here's the game. How many refills can I make it through during a show? I got ice in here, of course, because I'm a high-functioning alcoholic, not a goddamn barbarian. But because the mug is so big, I'm upping the alcohol content to four shots per refill as opposed to my standard three. <laughs> Jesus, that's vicious. And delicious. All right, so how many have you gone through so far? Three. <laughs> so you've got 12 shots in you right now? Yep. <laughs> okay, and you had to eat today. Head full of goldfish. Wait, you ate goldfish? The crackers, honey. Goldfish crackers. <gasps> Okay. I mean, I know you like sushi, but goddamn. <laughs> On it. Hello? And welcome to Movie Phone. Dude. No, there's nobody here by that name. <sighs> Asshole. But I got a weird feeling about him. I don't know. Nothing I can put my finger on. Not something I can see or touch or feel. But something I can't quite see, or touch, or feel, or put my finger on. Well, now, before we stage our hostile takeover of Santa's workshop, we put up a poll in our Kiss the Goat Facebook group, and we let our listeners decide what movie we would watch this year. Honestly, I have some control issues, so leaving that choice in the hands of others was nerve-wracking for me. But as usual, our acolytes made the choice that was so wrong... That was absolutely correct. It's a movie about a powerful vision. It's about acting on faith. It's a movie about being thankful for what you have. Also, a bridge falls down. <laughs> yep. So, when we come back, it's... Four! Four? Four rub drinks down the hatch, dream babies! A furry fill! Have you ever looked at a movie and said, What the hell is that? How can a movie with that low of a budget? Corny acting? Cheesy special effects? Or is that strange of a plot even be worth watching? Well, have I got the show for you. Join me, Matthew Angry Ginger, for the bad, the weird, and the cheesy. I'll be bringing you on a journey through cinema's oddities. I will cover all genres of film, and hopefully shed some light on why these films are worth watching. Track down the bad, the weird, and the cheesy podcast on Facebook and on Podbean. Welcome back to the fourth annual Kiss the Goat Holiday Extravaganza. Movie time! Yes, it's movie time. Movie time. Is, is the rum starting to kick in, love? Fuck! Hearts! Girls! <laughs> Let's listen to the trailer for this episode's movie. <laughs> we were just making sure there was adequate closet space. Good. This house is yours if you want it. We'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> what she knew she was drawing angels 
doing here? Somehow between 1 and 2.30, I traveled 400 miles. I've got no memory. Past few months, people have been coming up to me and reporting strange things. Weird lights. Strange phone calls. Who is this? What do you do when someone comes into your office and tells you they saw this in their backyard? My wife saw some. Drew pictures. They're just like this. Who showed you this? You know what that is? One day I started hearing voices. The voices became messages. It was right here. All I could see were these two red eyes. I met him. You met him? He said, do not be afraid. All 99 are believed dead. You're reading my mind, aren't you? What's in my head? This isn't just a message, it's a prediction. Something terrible's gonna happen. Earthquakes are going to happen. People you know and love are going to die. And no matter what that voice tells you. kids it's the mothman prophecies from 2002 directed by mark pellington who at that time was best known for his music videos if you remember the video for pearl james for me the creature was subtle <laughs> yes well pellington directed that this was his second feature film and it stars richard Gere, laura lenny and deborah missing for well about 15 minutes yeah she dies real quick in this movie spoiler Oh, we're going to spoil the shit out of this. This is a 15-year-old Christmas movie, for fuck's sake. Yeah, so feel free to fast-forward if you don't want the movie ruined for you. Yeah, if you're a scaredy-cat. Scaredy-cat, scaredy-cat. Wait a minute. Five! Five? Jesus, did you already drink that? That's my job, baby. That's what I do. That's what I do! Back in a second. Yeah, you know it's getting to him when he starts quoting Mark Henry. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> Alright, I'll give you a second because i got to pull up my shit here. Pull up your shit here, baby. I'm a shit puller. Notes Didn't on. take any notes. But it's I not noticed like I've only that. Seen, I've, I've only seen the movie like 200 times, so it should be okay. Ready to talk about the Mothman prophesies or prophecies. Both would be correct. <laughs> So Richard Gere is a newspaper reporter, which I guess makes sense when you look at him because he looks like he smells like gray flannel, and that's what I think all journalists smell like. But it seems like he should be writing obituaries, not covering major political events. Well, that's every role that Richard Gere plays. You don't like Richard Gere. He adds absolutely nothing to this movie. Like, the fact that I like this movie as much as I do, in spite of Richard Gere, astounds me. Like, they could have had a cardboard cutout of Richard Gere instead of the actual Richard Gere, and the movie would have been just as good. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Um... (laughs) 
Sorry, I broke Damn your stride it. there. You yeah. did. It's okay. Please break it. I, you know, fuck you, Matthew Wilder. <laughs> Somebody just broke my stride. Um, so, yeah, he's like a hotshot reporter, and his boss loves him. His boss's name is Cyrus. Cyrus the Virus. Um, but. Like, he skips out on the Christmas party because he's a terrible person. He's a fucking Scrooge. But also, he's looking at houses with his wife. His very sweet wife named Mary, who's played by Deborah Messing. And while the realtor is showing them the house, they go make out in the closet. So they're making out in the closet of a house that they don't even own. And that's fucking rude. It's, you know, it's thrilling. But it's rude. And they decide... You know, this isn't the only movie I've seen that in, though. I'm trying to remember what else I've seen that in. Where people go fucking houses they don't own? Yeah, where the realtor's showing them the house, and they're all excited, and they're like, Ah, we're gonna go fuck in this closet. Did we Did we do that? We might have done that. Anyway. That might be, that might be what you're thinking of. It's just us. Yeah. Because... I wouldn't put it past us. <laughs> This okay, is a nice continue. house. Can we have 20 minutes? Okay, thanks. So on their way home, they decide to buy the house. And everything is cool, and they're a very happy couple, and everything's nice. And they're in an Audi. Is it an Audi? I think it's an Audi. Their car is an Audi. Is it Not an Audi, or was it a Beamer? No, I think it was an Audi, because it had the, the circles on the front of it. Oh, okay. I think that's an Audi. I don't know. I'm not talking about her belly button. I'm talking about the car, so... So he says, how fast could you drive this thing? And she says, really fast. Foreshadowing. Right? Because she drives it really fast. And on the way home, they get swooped down on by this big thing with red eyes. And Mary wrecks the car. And she slams her head against the side window. And it breaks. And she ends up in the hospital. She's looked better. She has, and at first you're like, Jesus, you puss, I know you weigh like 97 pounds, but surely just bumping your head on the side window is not enough to cause all this trauma. Well, we find out very shortly um, after she wakes up out of her short comatose state or unconsciousness, whatever, that uh, she has seen something, and she asks Richard Gere, who plays John Klein in this film, did you see it? And he's like, oh, yeah. You know how awkward this is between the two of them? Like, everything's fine when she's ready to get down and dirty, but as soon as shit gets serious, he's all like, uh... I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, don't exactly. talk to me about emotions. So immediately, instead of like trusting her and talking to her, he orders an MRI. <laughs> so she goes in for a fucking brain scan. <laughs> Sounds familiar. This is like fucking the exorcist all over again. Well, it can't be something, you know, unexplainable. She's got to have, there's something wrong with her brain. We're not but it sure turns what's out there going is on. We're not sure what's going on. Let's do a spinal tap. Yeah. Well, there is something wrong with her brain. Right. She has a glioblastoma, which is a very rare kind of brain tumor. And when they're looking at the x-rays, the way that the movie portrays it is that the tumor actually looks like a moth. And then the tumor kind of flies out of the MRI towards the screen. So it's like, it's like the moth signal. <laughs> and this happens a lot in this movie. The fucking... 
moth signal goes off and then bad things happen. So they do the surgery on Mary's, you know, brain pan and they can't get it all so she's on chemo and things look really bleak now here's the first fucked up thing of this movie and there are more but I don't know if I'll call them out like that but he's he's still driving the car that they wrecked in with the busted window so every time he looks to his right there's that fucking impact point and the spider shattering of the glass from where his wife banged her head into it that's just fucking inhuman i would have sold that car quicker than damn it yeah seriously it's to his left but still because she was driving but yeah oh, she was I, driving. I don't You're think right. I could sorry that. yeah i don't know but directions <laughs> i want to know if she's going if she's had surgery for a brain tumor in her frontal lobe for one thing frontal lobe near your hairline right they're gonna shave some of your fucking hair off for this surgery two she's going through intensive chemotherapy why does she still have any hair because she's deborah messing do you know fucking will came in and brought her a wig and styled it perfectly and karen came in with some wine and they all had a party in the hospital room that's just how that works i'd have paid to have seen that that would have that that would have been a really good part of this movie that we don't get to see yeah john klein drives back to the place where they had the accident because i don't know why but he kind of pulls over the side he gets out and he examines the front of the car and there are these weird scratches like claw marks on the front and then when he looks up there are these two like barrels like work barrels on the street with red lights on the top of them and they look like eyes so it looks like mothman eyes like the moth signal was right there and then his wife dies merry christmas everybody the end (laughs) yeah well john klein is a reporter so he has kind of sense about this shit i guess and now that he's overcome the shock of his wife confessing that she's seeing shit suddenly oh well maybe it wasn't just a brain thing and then he goes investigating like you slimy piece of shit really you weren't willing to believe her before now and now all of a sudden you're looking for something else other than the brain tumor that's going to kill her you really need to sort out your priorities so, the, so when he's packing up Mary's room at the hospital, the orderly tells John um, she knew she was going to die because she was drawing angels in her journal before she passed away. Well, he looks at her journal, and I don't know what religion this orderly is, because <laughs> these are not fucking angels. These are big, shrieking black horrible things with screaming faces and she's written the word ruin all over and over again on one page so catholic i guess i don't know i don't know how this works but to fuck yes i mean maybe maybe he meant fallen angels but he should have specified because there is a difference well there is there is but see i have a theory about this movie that completely disrupts what i just said i just think when I look at those things, I don't automatically think, oh, that's an angel. That's so pretty. Nativity. You know, I don't think that, but I think maybe that the Mothman could be an angel. But we'll talk about that later. So after Mary dies, we jump two years into the future. We know this because the movie says two years later. 
And John is an even famouser journalist. He's on TV and shit talking about politics. Then he has to go to Richmond to interview the governor. So he gets into his car and he drives. And he drives and he drives and he drives until finally his car breaks down for reasons unknown. His dashboard flickers like there's a UFO overhead. It doesn't have any cell phone coverage and his watch has stopped. So what fucking movie is this? Is this Close Encounters? Is he like... I was thinking that too. Is he just like (laughs) shitty Richard Dreyfuss? So well, he didn't get the sunburn like Richard Dreyfuss did. Yeah, I wish. No, he got angel burn. It made his it made his hair instead of like burning his face, it just made his hair layered. Ugh. So he starts. So, so he starts huffing it, you know, trying to get some help. But he like he senses something around him. So he runs to a house where the porch light is on. And he rings the bell and he asks to use the phone. But the guy at the door recognizes him and drags him to, to into the house at gunpoint <laughs> with his fucking shotgun. Makes him stand in the bathtub. <laughs> It's like, if I'm going to shoot your ass, you ain't making a mess in my house. <laughs> I'm going to clean this shit up easy. I can just hose you down, motherfucker. <laughs> so, 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 so the wife, being prescient and intelligent and somewhat rational, calls the fucking cops. <laughs> and this is when we meet the second redhead that John Klein falls in love with. Mm-hmm. The sheriff. She's not the sheriff. I, no. I thought I thought for the whole movie that she was the sheriff too, but she was a she's a sergeant on the point on the Point Pleasant Police Force. She's a sergeant. Okay. Sergeant okay. Connie. And Connie, that was her name. I was reaching for it and couldn't remember. Right. So Sergeant Connie shows up, and like you said, she's right purdy. Oh my God, Laura Linney. That's that's like an indie film crush for me. She's amazing. She is pretty. Doesn't sound like she's from West Virginia at all. Oh, fuck but no. she's pretty. <laughs> so the gun dude, whose name is Gordon, Gordon tells Sergeant Connie that John has been stalking him for three nights, showing up at two thirty in the morning asking to use the phone. And of course, you know, John can't prove that he hasn't, but what he does have is a press pass. He's got his press pass from the Washington Post, and apparently that makes everything okay, because Gordon lets him out of the shower, the the Sergeant Connie lets him leave, plus she recognizes him from the TV. Mm -hmm. So she's already got kind of a media crush going on John Klein, but he's in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. He's nowhere near Richmond. He's right on the like West Virginia, Ohio line. He has no idea how he got there. Like missing time, fugue state, something. What did he say? Like one, like two. What was it? One o'clock and two thirty. He traveled four hundred miles and had no memory of it. Yes. Now I'm not shit. I mean, I've done that like in the Smokies, but then again, I'm known for having missing time, uh, <laughs> weird, fucking extraterrestrial experiences. That's just been part of my life. I keep waiting for those fuckers to come drink. back and take me. Yes, we drank, but I wasn't that not well. Was I? I don't know. I don't either. I might have been. That's before I met you. So mm-hmm. shit. The next morning on the street of, on the like high street of Point Pleasant, John Klein tells Gordon about everything that's happened. You know how he went 400 miles in an hour and a half down a road that he didn't realize he was driving. And Gordon just laughs at him. It's like, somebody's crazy. It ain't Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> 
But that night, John sits in his car just up the road from Gordon's house trying to stake it out because he's like, well, if somebody's been coming to his house at, you know, whatever, 2.30 in the morning, and he thinks it's me, I want to see who it is. Nothing happens. <laughs> but, Except that Sergeant Connie taps on his window. <laughs> Yeah, Sergeant Connie's already got it bad. I mean, you can just, you can tell she's ready for it. And then she tells him just all kinds of shit that, as a police officer, she should not tell him. Like, oh, there's weird shit going on, and people are seeing things, and people are hearing things, and um, things are very strange around Point Pleasant right now. Oh, really? Well, thank you, professional. Uh, peace officer, because what the fuck? I should have to subpoena you for that information. But he doesn't, and the next scene has her has her showing him police records, and just him having free reign to all of this information. No subpoena, no nothing. It's just like, here you go, baby. Now imagine if she were a doctor. <laughs> here you go, John Clyde. Here's all these fucking HIPAA-protected files, but I don't give a fuck, because you got salt and pepper hair, and I think you're rugged <laughs> Just, yeah but i don't think hipaa laws extend to petty arrests and weird complaints the police department well receives, they well they don't but but in those reports there's all kinds of mention of strange phone calls and weird lights and there's a drawing that looks like the drawings that mary made right before she passed you know the hideous screaming black mass with the disfigured face just just you know barking into the abyss and he's like oh shit who drew this so now we go through a big part of the movie where john just goes around interviewing witnesses now he interviews this one woman and she says the thing was about eight foot tall had two red eyes and there's a tree in her yard with the same kind of weird burn scratch marks that were on the car that mary wrecked you know before she passed away so apparently this tree was also attacked by the moth signal <laughs> because we never actually see what's his, the, the moth man we just see this weird fucking winged thing that just flies animated and it flies towards the screen and that's what we get also here's this the next part is is john klein talks to the the fire chief and the fire chief was getting calls at the fi- at, at the fire department so he had the phone number changed but he said before he could even give the number out that the the moth man was calling him on the phone now here's a question <laughs> this is a pretty big i mean this is not a huge town but it's not a small town why the fuck do you change the number at the goddamn fire department? People <laughs> and not tell to, people. <laughs> and not tell anybody. People got that shit on speed dial. Can you imagine? Oh, my house is on fire. Boo-doo-doop. The number you have you've dialed is no longer in service. What the fuck? Who does that? God damn irresponsible. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I mean, you keep talking about the, the moths. The moths. The moth signal. The moth signal. I was trying to say symbol, and I knew that wasn't right. But yes, the moth signal. Keep in mind, this movie was, did we say, 2002, right? 2002, yes, ma'am. So this was right on that cusp between bad 90s CGI and good 
or at least better CGI that followed after that, right? So it was kind of like, it doesn't look quite as shitty as, <laughs> like, Lawn Mower Man or <laughs> one of those really weird <laughs> 90s films, but it does doesn't look quite as good as like Lord of the Rings and followed a few years later. <laughs> so so it's it's right there on that cusp. You're still like, oh well, that looked kinda cool. It it was it's a little off, but it looked kinda cool. But the thing is the movie uses it anytime that there is anything that could potentially be involved with the Mothman. So it's like yep. you know, we we see it in Gordon we, we see it like in Mary's MRI. We eventually see it with some of Gordon's shit. We see it in, uh, we see it on the front of uh, John Klein's car. Yep. So anything that might have been Mothman perpetrated, we get to see this flapping moth signal. And we get it in these weird cutaway segments that are like breaks between scenes, and we often also see Deborah Messing's eyeball like up close. So. It's and the effect is really kind of jarring and surreal though I liked it and I kept thinking through the whole thing I kind of wish David Lynch had done this movie <laughs> because I feel like he would have pushed that over that edge of just a little surreal into just batshit crazy weird like nightmare dream sequence that just would have made it outstanding but see, then you would have had like Robert Blake playing the Mothman, and he's on the phone he's going, <laughs> "I'm in your house." <laughs> you might have, maybe there probably would have been a couple of midgets involved too somewhere. <laughs> but you know, that's, that's the rabbits. risk you run. That's the risk you run with that. <laughs> you take the good with the fucking weird. <laughs> The Mothman is wearing a red rose. Do you know why? <laughs> no, we don't fucking know why. <laughs> Jesus, are you kidding me? What drugs are you on, man? You need to share. <sighs> so John keeps interviewing people, and he interviews these two kids who were fucking in the back seat out by the cement plant and all of a sudden the car is filled with light and the bat signal attacks again and the kids are uh, the mob right bat whatever the fucking <laughs> the winged creature signal the thing happens <laughs> so the mob signal attacks again these kids just start bleeding out of their faces one kid's eye bleeds and it never quite healed right the woman's bleeding out of her mouth so whatever this thing is it's fucking with people hard so john starts getting hang-up calls in his hotel room so he goes down to a pawn shop looking for you know analog answering machines and gordon's there why is gordon in the pawn shop i don't know because he's fucking gordon i'd like to find some used ammo i mean you know i don't know what the fuck he's looking for but he says he woke up last night with a headache and when he went to get aspirin he saw something weird that he can't explain in his mirror and then he heard something a sound coming out of his sink and then he heard a voice that said do not be afraid 99 will die Denver 9 and it said it over and over again for an hour so Gordon wrote that down on a piece of paper but so did something else on the other side of where Gordon wrote it down there's it's in a very childish 
kind of scrawl and that might be covered in possible blood not really sure what that was and then gordon's ear begins to bleed so john's like we should probably get you to a doctor he reverts to the oh you need an mri immediately goes in for what the fuck's yeah. wrong with this guy he has a very strong faith in magnetic resonant imagery actually gordon just went in for a cat scan i guess that's different from an mri i don't know but it's clean it's clean gordon has a clean cat scan so gordon and john are very confused by this because gordon is exhibiting mary's symptoms and the way they found out what was wrong with mary was through an mri and the doctor says you've got nothing as exotic as a blastoglioblastoma or whatever the fuck it was called if i would check in my notes i would see the actual name but i can't be arsed to do that because i'm drinking rum so (laughs) so anyway uh john klein takes gordon and his wife denise out for dinner at just so shitty local diner you know where it's just like 40 varieties of hash browns and john notices what's on the tv and it's a story about flight nine out of denver and it has it has crashed and all 99 people aboard are believed dead and when gordon sees the news he says wow man like you do that's his whole fucking response not i am justified i'm an ancient i am correct (laughs) he's just wow man the fuck? Kinder statement he is. So Richard Gere contacts this kind of parapsychologist dude named Alexander Leek. But Leek says he doesn't work in those areas anymore. So here's the question. Is Gordon a prophet? Is he receiving messages from the great beyond? You know, is he fucking psychic? What the shit's going on with Gordon? Doesn't matter, because you'll never know from this movie. (laughs) Nope. And then Sergeant Connie tells John about this dream that she had where it was nighttime and she was at the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) Letting the days go by. It was nighttime and she couldn't swim, but there were prisons floating all around here, wrapped up with bows on them, but she couldn't grab onto them to float, so she started to sink, but she was ready for it. She was letting go. She was just letting herself die. And there were lights coming from below, and then she heard a voice that said, Wake up, number 37. She's like, What does that mean? Number 37. That's so fucking weird. Then Gordon tells John that he met the dude. He's met the Mothman. He met the guy who told him about the crash on the way home from work out past the cement plant. There was a bright flash of lightning, and then something encircled him in his truck, and it got real hot, and he couldn't catch his breath. And then the guy walked up to him, and he looked human, but he wasn't human. And really, he just looked like most of the shots in the Beautiful People video by Marilyn Manson. But... The dude said to him, do not be afraid. My name is Indrid Cold. Fuck you, no it's not. Indrid Cold. That's not your name. (laughs) But he said, in a place this size, Equator, 300 will die. Wait for me, I will return. I will see you in time. And John's like, okay, crazy dude. I don't know what that's all about. But then Gordon hands him a newspaper, and then... The headline is that there was an earthquake in Ecuador and 300 people died. Now it's getting creepy. The plot thickens. 
So Sergeant Connie and, Sean, and John are in his hotel room and the phone rings and it's Gordon on the phone. And Gordon says, hey, guess what? Uh, I'm talking to Injured Cold, the moth man, and he's right here next to me. And John says, let me talk to him. And, and This is one of my favorite scenes in this movie because shit gets really weird at this point because he's like, fuck, Connie. You gotta go over to Gordon's right now. He says Indrid's next to him. So Connie heads out of there like a bat out of hell, speeding towards Gordon's house because she thinks, oh, I'm gonna catch this motherfucker who's been tormenting Gordon and, you know, telling him all this shit. And meanwhile, <laughs> fucking John Klein is sitting there in the hotel room having this spooky ass conversation with this person calling himself Indrid Old on the phone. And he's like testing him, right? Yeah. He's like, like yeah. <laughs> he's hey, like, where's my watch? Where's my watch? After he throws it in his shoe and sticks it under the bed. And so Indrid is like, it's in your shoe under the bed. And then he's like, fuck. And he reaches into the, the bedside table drawer and he's like, what's in my hand? And he goes, chapstick. And fuck, it's chapstick. <laughs> and then he like grabs a book and Indrid's like, more tests, John Klein. And it's just the voice is so fucking creepy. And all this while, Connie is just hauling ass across the county to get to the outskirts so she can and see what the hell's going on at, at Gordon's house. And when she gets there, Gordon is just like, well, hi, Connie, what's going on? Did you call, Connie? Did you call? No, Connie, I, I've been asleep since <laughs> 9 o'clock. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and Indrid's telling John, like, all this shit about his childhood. Like, you lived in a greenhouse. You don't remember what your mother looks yeah. like. No, it's just, it's, uh, it's awful. <laughs> it is. It's, it's really creepy. But John taped that conversation with Indrid, and he takes it to a, like a professional sound lab, and the sound engineer tells him, well, this is an electrical impulse. This is not coming from human vocal cords. <laughs> so what the fuck is going on? Show me the moth signal so I have some kind of semblance of reality here. <laughs> Pseudo-reality. <laughs> So John flies to Chicago to pester that Alexander Leake dude, and Leake finally agrees to talk to him, and he says that the moth represents souls trapped in hell, and these creatures, the Ukrainians, call them the Mothman. And he always shows up right before terrible disasters. And he also says that their motivations aren't human. And the reason that they're fucking with John is because he noticed them, and they noticed that he noticed them. Now, maybe that ability is awakened by trauma, but they appear different to everyone. And Lee tells him that something terrible is going to happen in Point Pleasant and warns John not to return. So John returns because he's a stubborn, uh, you know, cardboard <laughs> cutout of a man. And it's the Christmas, they're having the Christmas parade in Point Pleasant, and that's cute. But when he gets there and, and, and you know, talks to Sergeant Connie, she tells him that not only has Gordon's wife left him, but that 15 more people have seen the Mothman. And three of them were cops. And John, being a dick, lies to her and tells her that Alexander Lee wouldn't talk to him. Asshole. But that night, John goes out driving like he does because he'll drive and then the movie will like speed up real fast and then it'll slow down like real slow. So like you can't really tell what speed he's going 
but I mean it's like us honey when we're on state highways and we're doing 65 and then we hit a little town and we have to slow down to fucking 30 fucking beat station yes <laughs> so John's driving out of town and he finds Gordon just standing on the side of the bridge and this is the bridge between West Virginia and Ohio and it goes across the Ohio River it's called the Silver Bridge but he's looking like he's about to jump but Gordon's like I'm fine I'm just waiting for injured cold because he's real and all of these things are real so John apparently just leaves the motherfucker on the bridge because you know I can't really get involved in people because I'm cardboard but when John goes back to his hotel room he's trying to go to sleep and he turns over and he sees a vision of his dead wife in the bed next to him just telling him that she wants him to be happy but the phone rings and whoever's on the phone says this is your wake up call but John didn't ask for a wake up call and then all of a sudden Gordon calls his cell phone and he says hey Mr. Cole he's Mr. now not just how are they not on a first name basis so it's Mr. Cold he was right about everything about understanding it's real you've got nothing to worry about and I'll see you in time so John drives out to Gordon's place thinking that the shit's about to hit the fan but he's wrong because the shit has already hit the fan because Gordon's dead he's out in the woods leaning against a tree and he's died of exposure John tells Connie that Gordon called him like an hour ago, but he's been dead for eight hours. Exciting. So some weird shit's going on. At the funeral, the fire chief walks up to John and says, Hey, I know you called me the other day asking about any accidents at the chemical plant, but there aren't any, so everything's cool. And John's like, I didn't call to you. I didn't call to you, fire chief man. And then all of a sudden, for no for no fucking reason, we see Mary walking down the sidewalk. His dead fucking wife is in Point Pleasant. And Sergeant Connie says, hey, who was that redheaded woman? And she went into the sheriff's department. She's in the police station. And Connie tells John that she was asking about him. Now, he knows it's Mary, but Connie's like trying to deny that shit. And he's like, what did she ask? And she's like, well, she asked if you were happy. And she said, tell John I'm sorry for ruining everything. And he pulls her picture out of his wallet. And she says, and he's like, is this her? Was this her? Was this the woman? And Connie's like, well, I'm not quite sure. I can't confirm. The scene is so weird. Like It is weird. What the fuck is this doing in the goddamn movie? When did Point Pleasant become the fucking way station for all these dead souls? I don't I don't get it. It has nothing to do with the rest of the fucking movie. And that's one of my big issues with this. So we'll get to that. We'll get to that later, but there's no reason for them to be calling him. They keep calling him. They keep calling him. Sorry. That was Oh. Oh shit. Nice keeps her rattling. Six! <laughs> Honey, maybe maybe you should dial it back just a little bit there. Your mom thinks I should dial it back. What does that even mean? It means I'm thirsty. Thirsty. Moram. <laughs> All right. Well, while X has gone to get more rum. Okay, so let's see. Where are we in the movie at this point? Um, John Klein goes back to his hotel room after this. He's got, like, 
nine fucking messages on his answering machine that he's got hooked up there to his hotel room phone. And Indrid Cold is now impersonating his dead wife and repeating things that she said to him as she died. So John Klein gets back in his car and goes driving again. You know, the whole 90 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour. And he's going to Indiana back to talk to the writer, um, Mr. Bleak, to try to force him into giving him some more answers. Goes straight up to his fucking house, knocks on the door, who knows what hour it is. But he finally gets to have a conversation uh, with Leek about what's going on and finds out that he was actually hearing these voices and having experiences. And he apparently misinterpreted one uh, and tried to prevent this tragedy that he thought was going to happen from happening. And it didn't happen and there was an investigation. He was almost arrested. And so uh, Leek tells him, I turned my back on it and I never looked back. My wife left me. My kids wouldn't talk to me. I spent time in an insane asylum. So it gets pretty heavy. Uh, and this Leek character is, is pretty desperate and pretty bleak looking. So John Klein goes back to pleasant i'm back where are we at well hello there thank you for gracing us with your presence i've been here okay the tragedy that happens on the ohio river is actually the chemical plant like something happening there and the governor is going to go there and all that shit yeah because he's got a tape of Edward cold saying great tragedy up the river ohio and john's like oh shit that's why i'm here i'm here because the chemical plant's gonna blow up and it's gonna kill the governor and everybody else that's in the chemical plant so <clears throat> connie tries to get him you know to like calm down and shit and he gets re he like pushes her he gets really handsy he like smacks her up he against does. walls and shit, and it's just not cool. So anyway, at when the governor shows up at the chemical plant, John pretty much makes a scene, tries to get the governor to cancel the tour. Cancel the tour! You're all gonna die! And then fucking nothing happens. So he's sitting at the nothing bar. Happens. He's just sitting at the bar in a Marriott, getting slowly hammered, and he gets a message from the concierge. I love that word, concierge. That's a good word. So the concierge hands him a message and it says, Hey, Mary's going to call you in Georgetown on Friday at noon. So John's like, I need to hie my ass back to Georgetown as quickly as I can. At like 5 until 12, Sergeant Connie calls and it's like, Hey, let's talk for about half an hour. And he's like, I'm, I'm waiting for a call. This is really like the worst possible time you could call me. And Connie's like, John, she's dead. She's <laughs> dead. And there ain't nothing you can do about it because she's dead. But I do know you can sit there and wait for that dead woman to call you. And it won't be her. It won't be we her. We expected Connie to sound like that, but she does not sound like that. She doesn't, but that's that's this is our show. And I get to talk. <laughs> I get to give characters the voice that I want. So this is how West Virginia fucking searching Connie talks in my head and she's like now look I booked you a flight so you can be here with us on Christmas Eve now you don't have to take it you don't but right around here supper's at 6 and we open presents at 8 
So y'all should come on back up and just hang out with us for Christmas because we'd love to see you. And it's very sweet. It's very Southern hospitality and everything. But it forces Richard Gere to make it... Oh, Richard Gere. John Klein. Richard Gere. Cardboard cutout of a human being. He has to make a choice now. After Connie hangs up, the phone rings and it's obviously supposed to be Mary or injured cold pretending to be Mary and it looks like he's going to answer the phone he's like reaching towards it and then he's like no violent movements and he tears the phone out of the wall and even after the phone is torn out of the wall it still rings which tells you that that's that's supernatural (laughs) but he leaves and he just goes driving back (laughs) she booked him a flight and he's like I don't give a fuck I'm driving. I don't trust airplanes, I guess. I don't know what the deal with that, but he he drove. He drove all the way back to Point Pleasant, but when he gets back in town, it's Christmas Eve night, and traffic is shitty. And the bridge is backed up. Nobody's moving. He can't give. He can't even get on the bridge from where he's at. Connie, Sergeant Connie, is on the bridge trying to get into town, and it's almost 6 o'clock. She doesn't want to miss supper because, you know, all of her people are there and all of her friends. There's a problem with the traffic lights. They're all stuck on red, which means that the bridge is packed beyond full capacity. And that's when John starts to hear something, and what he's hearing is the bridge cables singing. I have a really hard time with this. That's not something you ever want to hear. (laughs) It's not. Especially when you're on the fucking bridge. Well, not even if... I mean, if you're on the bridge, that's one thing. But if you're off the bridge, but somebody you love is on the bridge, that's that's worse. Once he starts hearing those cables sing, he realizes that it wasn't the chemical plant. After all, it was the bridge. And this whole structure begins to sway, and rivets start popping. Connie notices it. She gets out of her cruiser, and she starts... Like walking around, looking up, just trying to figure out what's going on, and Cable starts snapping. And this is an- so. Yeah, this is another really surreal sequence. So Cable starts snapping, bolts are flying out of place, and the, the kid asphalt breaks. Yeah, and the kid that was you know buggering in the back seat and saw the Mothman a little bit earlier in the movie is in his car on this bridge, and John Klein sees him and beats on the window and tells him, "You gotta get, you gotta get off the bridge." Turn that shit down because his radio's up really loud, right? And the kid's like, what? What? And before he can even turn the radio down, one of those cables comes under his windshield and smashes it, of course, and ends up killing him. Lifts the whole car up. It does, dude. Like, fucks it up big time. And it's just chaos. And it's this weird mix of just terror and things happening really fast and then shit happening in slow motion. And before you know it, the bridge starts breaking in the center. Like, the entire center segment of this bridge starts just coming free and falling into the river below it. And cars are sliding off of it. And Connie is back in her car at this point trying to radio for help and she gets knocked unconscious and they all go just tumbling down into the icy water and let me just say one thing to um every acolyte who voted for this movie in the poll (laughs) fuck y'all fuck all y'all because this sequence is so hard for me to watch it makes me cry it terrifies me i don't like it just yeah there's there's an ex- there's such a serious air of helplessness 
about this. And basically every like supporting character that you've seen in this movie is on the fucking bridge. So even if you just like caught a glimpse of somebody in a store, they're on the bridge. And it's like, oh fuck, everybody I've met in this movie is going to die. Mm-hmm. And it's honestly That's... one of the most horrifying sequences I've ever seen in a film. So y'all know, just to, to compound this thing... X is terrified of fucking bridges. I don't like you should have seen, should have seen his face when we were on vacation in Florida last year. Drove through Jacksonville and we had to go across this really long, tall fucking bridge over a bay. And I was like, "Oh, honey, just close your eyes. Just, just close your fucking eyes. I'll tell you when we get across the bridge, it'll be fine." So yeah, this sequence was particularly hard on him to watch. So everybody's in the fucking water. John Klein is standing on the edge of, of one bank where the, the bridge is just completely broken free and fallen. And he's like, yep, I'm diving. So he jumps his ass into that cold water because Connie's down there. And he has made his choice. And he's going to save Connie. And he does. He pulls her up out of the water. And there are presents floating around. And there are lights shining up from below just like in her dream. And he gets her to the shore, and of course, by this point, rescue vehicles have shown up, and they're searching for people and trying to save as many as they can. They're sitting in the back of an ambulance, and one of the rescue workers comes up and tells them that there are 36 that are dead. And she looks at him, and he looks at her, and they both say, wake up, number 37. And we realize that Connie was supposed to have been the 37th victim in that particular tragedy. But somehow, for some reason, John Klein's presence in this whole tale and his decision led to her being saved. Yep. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) This whole third act is just so hard for me to deal with. And I don't... I, I mean, I have like a basic kind of psychiatric understanding why. But Jesus, it is so hard for me to watch. But I mean... I don't know, and we'll get into this here in a minute, but I don't know. It's sort of a happy ending? <laughs> Maybe? I don't know. But, Jesus, the whole third act of this movie just terrifies me to my core. And it just... Uh, uh, makes It just... It, it gives me all the feels. So, anyway... Hey! <laughs> yep, that's it. With a flurry of dark wings, so ends the Mothman prophecies. And it ended up being mostly a feel-good movie. I feel good. Yeah. <laughs> you won't tomorrow, I guarantee it. No, 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 no. It's cool. I grabbed a Powerade last time I get it up. Ah, oh, okay. Good. I know that's your secret hangover cure. Yeah, man. I put rum in it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, kids, we're going to be back after this break. Howdy, folks. Like you come to the right place. My name is Gary and I am your guide to Cinema Beef Podcast. Every episode, we not only deliver film reviews, we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films. Sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Hey, 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 you shut your face! If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet! Alright, calm down, calm down. Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, and listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. You're slapped. That's not very nice. The only rules, well, let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. 
3, be nice. So join the insanity and please vent your frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Remember, here at the Sunday Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. Damn it, hold on. I'm sure it's just another weird call. How come all these fuckers have Santa's phone number? Why have I been sending letters to the North Pole this whole time? Hello, Santa. I mean, I, I want a pony. I could have been calling. I don't know. Hang on, hang on. <clears throat> Empty Arms Hotel, how can I help you? Um, this is Chef Al. Um, it's coming on to 3.30, getting ready to open. I was just kind of wondering, uh, what the fuck is my brisket? Yeah, I know you guys are busy and you've got a million other customers and all that kind of shit. Um, but I really don't give a motherfucker about any of that stuff because I have things to do. And I have money that I theoretically want to give you guys. Oh, hey! It's Chef Al, X. It's Chef Al. And oh, shit. Uh... Oh, sorry, Miss Al. Sorry, X. Sorry, Cootie. That just means it's time for a beautiful candlelit dinner for two. This meal looks quite delightful, Betty. Oh, it's just something I threw together, that's all. Well, shall we dig in? Everyone's so hungry. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, uh, happy holidays, guys. Uh, all right. So, hey, um, what'd you what'd yes. you cook? What'd you cook? Uh, food, mostly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so. All of, I, I hadn't actually ever seen this movie before, um, and I was kind of like shocked to learn that I kind of knew, I'm, I'm not necessarily like a big cryptid um, or cryptoid or cryptoline uh, follower, but, <laughs> you know, you, you tangentially pick up a lot of stuff uh, of that. So all the Mothman stuff, I, I had actually accumulated a fair bit of info about that, and I expected there to be more of it in this movie, so I kind of like planned things... Uh, kind of along those lines and I was a little bit surprised to not have as much of that in the actual film so what I kind of came up with was something that's uh, uh, how should I put this okay so I, I went looking for like West Virginia and uh, sort of like food that you'd find in West Virginia kind of like along the lines of like all everything that goes with all the Mothman uh, phenomena stuff and which is basically like the last three or four seasons of the x-files like just like way too much stuff um from like you know ancient curses to time travelers to aliens to mutagenic birds so i figured i would just go with like way too many things from that area so uh i i was actually kind of interested in some of the food from uh, regional particularities of West Virginia. Um, there are some dishes there that I actually find kind of interesting. Uh, you, you get, like, you, you go and you look around and you find, like, I don't know, you look for, like, your list of your top uh, West Virginia foods and things, and you see a lot of stuff that isn't a big surprise and are not particularly unique, like skillet cornbread or, you know, biscuits and gravy that you'll find 
all over the place. But there are a few things that I found kind of interesting. Coal. Coal. <laughs> I think they make soup out of coal. <laughs> coal dumplings. <laughs> so, the, but there were a few things that kind of caught my eye. Uh, so, one of which being a what do they call them? Uh, pepperoni rolls, which are basically like pigs in a blanket, but it's spicy pepperoni in a um, like rolled around in bread. Another was the that sounds. Uh, this is I'd eat that now. Yeah, no, that would be something that would be nice to have like on a subscription service. <laughs> It's one of those that what that's one of those regional foods. It's like, oh, I see no reason why that's not everywhere. <laughs> right. But that just makes a lot of sense. Um, the uh, West Virginia hot dog style. It's not not entirely crazy original, but it's chili on a dog with coleslaw and onions. So that's you know elements that you see on other in other areas, but that's like something that they're into. And those are kind of the big ones um, but there's other elements of, like there's a lot of like hunting and game game birds and stuff like that so I kind of went with like end up being the holidays I thought I had to get some turkey into this so what I did was a, uh, a turkey kielbasa stuffed uh, bread roll topped with uh, turkey and duck chili and uh, and sort of a slaw variation like piled on top mm-hmm. turkey and so, duck chili huh? you made Duck chili? Yeah. Wow. That seems glorious. Uh, you know, I had to get some, like, festive birds and stuff in there. Um, and and I kind of wanted that, like, well, way too many things going on at once. Yeah. <laughs> Which um, the movie The Mothman Prophecies didn't really have. If I, if I had planned things out based solely on the film, it would have been a tasting menu based entirely around Richard Gere looking stoically at things. <laughs> Richard Gere walking. It's Richard Gere driving a car. See, and based on what I know about West Virginia, I thought you were just going to make, like, riblets. <laughs> this is fucking Applebee's. Let's see, I know nothing about West Virginia. This is, uh, and this is one of the things that I find kind of interesting. Like, I did my usual research stuff of um, seeing, you know, what, what the sort of typical foods in an area are. And, full disclosure, first stop is Google. <laughs> right on. Put in, put in West Virginia food. The top two things, the top two searches that came up in the list were West Virginia food stamps. <laughs> West Virginia food tax. And my heart kind of sinks a little bit <laughs> when I see that. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. When food stamps are the very first thing that come up, that that's starting to feel a little bit grim. Yeah, that whole state's a food desert, apparently. Mm, there should be hunting mothmen. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Looks like you, know, you can get some good eating off the wings on those things. We've got some stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you're right. And I, I must apologize. That was the third element that um, was a big thing for me that I thought was kind of like pleasantly surprising. It was a pizza style that I guess is like caught on there, which is, a, uh, I, I, I guess, a trend is blue cheese and grape topped pizzas huh. which is you know I can kind of see it like a particular pizza joint having that as sort of a signature style but I guess it's a thing that's like caught on and it's a fairly common thing so that I actually incorporated some of that into the dough that I wrapped the uh, turkey polish uh, sausage into so there is, it, is there a tomato sauce it's like a it, it looks to be from the pictures that I've seen kind of like a cream blue cheese on a really thin crust that's kind of like studded with like halves of uh, red grapes. I don't know about that. <laughs> That'd be good. Peanut butter. 
<laughs> yeah, I would, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'd be okay with yeah. No, that'd be that'd be good with peanut butter. Calling that a pizza might be kind of like pushing it. Like you're you're kind of like playing in that the muddy waters between pizza and focaccia there. Yeah, I I agree. <laughs> like, is this a dish or are you doing some kind of toast? <laughs> we need the toast police on this. <laughs> police. All right. So you so. Like you said in in the group, so you Klondike build it, and you wrapped. I Klondike build it all. The oh god, that's so great! It's the holidays. We gotta get some turkey in there. That's right. So it's wrapped. It's wrapped in bread, like it's like a like a. It's a yeast dough that um, it's basically you know, like a focaccia kind of a style dough. So it's you know fairly stiff, a little airy. Uh, that's. Uh, Got some like chunky blue cheese worked into it, and uh, and some uh, uh, red grape bits. Wow! Which, while it tastes good, is a son of a bitch to roll. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't advise doing it if you were like on a time schedule. <laughs> That's just me. I can imagine it's not easy trying to roll a, a kielbasa just because there's it's greasy. It's a little, yeah, it's a little greasy. You, um, but I, yeah, actually, what I did, I actually smoked it for a little bit first, then let it set up in the refrigerator. So that kind of like grease sheen had a chance to recongeal and then became adhesive. So you, you can make the grease work to your advantage. Nice. Grossing me out here. Well, we don't have enough adhesive <laughs> grease in this house. <laughs> there, might, there might be a market for that. Let's call it adgreasive and market that shit. <laughs> Aggressive, yeah. <laughs> so, do you, so do you, did you deep fry this, or did you bake it, or did you wrap it in foil and put it on your engine block? I seriously considered cranking up a deep fryer, but uh, no, I just went with an oven, uh, roaring hot, about 450 degrees, um, on like a double layer uh, sheet pan, so that like none of the uh, you have a little bit of insulation, so that the the cheese and the fruit that's kind of like kind of like leach out through the sides doesn't like totally burn. It buys you a little bit of time, and uh, just just let her go like that until like when you bang on it, uh, like in, rap on it with your uh, knuckles. It sounds like you're knocking on a cheap door, <laughs> and then you know you're pretty much good to go. I think that sounds great. I think that is. I would eat. I buy all the. I buy all this like really expensive technological stuff. But at the end of the day, you rely on like metaphors. Like, and eh, does that sound about right? <laughs> no, I think that's that. That sounds good. That sounds like like the best corn dog you'd ever eat because there's no dog and no corn. <laughs> that's kind of what it comes off as. It's, it's like a lush corn dog. <laughs> Maybe there's something like that at a West Virginia State Fair. Do they have those? No, I don't know. Well, well yeah, but you got you, you got apparently you have to pay with food stamps to get in. So, <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that was one of the things about that about, about this film because I really got a sense of place. Well, it's it's right there between West Virginia and Ohio, and believe it or not, those are two different places. Although they, you know. They they smell the same, especially around that area by the river. <laughs> think they got some bleed in. Yeah, I think so. Oh, you got your Buckeye and my whatever the <laughs> hell this 
Virginia is. Well, like, for, as somebody who's over the name of the state and don't yeah. has a real like, conception of what would possibly make it unique or whatever, it, the, the, the flick doesn't really present anything that, like, gives you a sense of why it's happening there as opposed to any place else. Yeah, that's true. I mean... You get some, like, self-depreciating humor from the sheriff who is assuming that Richard Gere thinks they're all bumpkins, but the only other character that you've seen in the film is, a, like, a, a ribald stock bumpkin, and then you don't really see anyone else. And then anything else that you see are, like, town square stock footage that could be anywhere. So maybe th- under, the, under the surface they're less bumpkin-y, but you don't really get to interact with too many people except you know the crazy Will Patton but you know I'd kind of rather interact with him than a lot of the than a lot of folks I run into in the run of my day I don't know at least be a little bit more life yeah that's true Will Patton always he seems like somebody you could party with yeah yeah I mean for like a, a, a paranoid not even he doesn't even he just knows stuff's fucking with him but he's he's cool about it oh well but he still seems like the kind of guy at the party who just like sits in the corner in a straight back you know wooden chair and when you approach him he just says stuff like you ever seen your own asshole <laughs> uh, you mean me <laughs> <laughs> that, that's kind of my go-to <laughs> that's why i got into the hospitality industry i could always like you know excuse myself gracefully and say i had dishes to do <laughs> Makes perfect sense to to me. Easier on everyone that way. Since we are talking about Christmas and you know our our kielbasas, that's a hard word to say. Kielbasas. Kiel- yeah. Yeah. It's kielbasa, I think. <laughs> I hope so. I'm not sure if that's easier. Kielbasa. Kielbasa. <laughs> are there any like interesting? Nova Scotian Christmas traditions that we should know about? Oh, you know, that's really like hard to say. I don't think anything too terribly different than um, a lot of, a lot of North Americans do, you know? Like, um, Christmas Day is the big day for, like, immediate family and everyone's sitting around and opening presents together. And Christmas Eve is a little bit more of a social thing where, you know, folks are running around and dropping off gifts to people and the more, like, friendly relations are exchanging gifts. And, you know, people kind of, like, from, coming from, like, a Catholic background, that, that would be, you know, like, poser mass where <laughs> people show up, like, it, you know, that, it's like the Wrestlemania that's when the casual fans come out and right. they want to see all like the big stars and stuff and so like the folks at home are like making meat pies and stuff like that and while everyone's out at mass you know you start like drying out the cod paste it's just kind of like you know what everyone else does all across the uh, across the continent did um, you say cod paste or cod piece yeah no no okay. no cod <laughs> I've I've, I've no idea what cod paste is. <laughs> oh, well, maybe it's a regional thing. Like, like maybe you would do that with like the livers of whatever fish are common in your area. Like, you, you must do like a catfish paste thing. Fish paste? No, this is, <laughs> this is totally new to me. <laughs> we deep fry our catfish around here, so. Like, you take the liver and you put it in the pestle with like the frankincense and. You, you, oh, you now you're fucking with smash. me. Yeah, yeah, a little. <laughs> God damn it, Al. That's what they gave the baby Jesus. Was the 
frankincense, cod paste, and myrrh. Yeah, that, that's where fish sauce comes from. Like, the three wise men from the east were coming with the basic ingredients of pad thai. <laughs> we have brought him some miso. I mean, that, ooh, that's a hell of a trip. You're going to bring something fermented with you. And if it didn't start off that way, that's how it was going to wind up. That's a fair oh point. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Rotten fish guts, that is always a conversation killer. Mm. God, paste. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so, so I you, tried to little things for them. So do you have any Christmas stories that you'd like to tell everybody? Like a favorite Christmas, or a not favorite Christmas? Um... Boy. It's cool if you don't. I was just curious because you know everybody has their little Christmas stories. Yeah, I, I don't have a particularly fantastic Christmas story. Like once once we got out of the bunker and everything was assessed to be safe, and you know we didn't need to um, do the thing with the sage uh, <laughs> dressing like pressed over our mouth and noses. Just nothing really seemed particularly interesting about that anymore. You know. <laughs> Everything just seemed kind of like sad and normal. And that was just like five years ago when the plague hit Nova Scotia, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. No, it was. Uh, I mean, our film industry is still fucked, but you know, we're working through that. Oh, I mean, hell, if Wilmington can bounce back after the hurricane, I'm sure you guys can bounce back after the <laughs> bonic plague. It'll be fine. <laughs> the cod bonic plague? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking cod. <laughs> exactly. That's okay. That's that still that still works into like the whole religious aspect of it because you've got Cod the Father, Cod the Son, and Cod the Holy Ghost. So fine. That's the that, triune. That, that's the triune fish. That's not even like factoring scallops into it too. <laughs> With your your, your Saint Jacques. I still don't understand that. Like, I always thought scallops just represented the the like the disciples. Represent all the disciples. <laughs> well, you gotta get a lot. You gotta get a lot of scallops. Disciples <laughs> 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 there, like hold up in Nazarene, like waiting to see if like Christ or is gonna come back before like the Romans were coming to bust them up. He's like hanging around, chilling down with scallops. <laughs> 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 like, like their fingers stick from the liquor. They were, they were fishermen. That's where, that's where like the tons of fire come from. They just had some bad seafood. <laughs> My head's burning. <laughs> Mary, Mary, Ma- Mary Magdalene was like the scampy queen, and nobody even talks about that. She could, <laughs> she could garlic some shit up, boy. <laughs> That sounds right, actually. That, that, that fits. Yeah, I'd buy it. <laughs> <laughs> um, can, I, can I have a second to give a shout out to Mr. Ralph Pickler? Absolutely. We love uh, Ralph. Yeah, he, he, he's, a, he's a fine fellow. And uh, when on the Facebook group, we were uh, backing and forthing about Stephen King dishes. Um, and he made the one comment that I had to do something called Dirty Pillows. <laughs> and that of 
that lit a fire under me, um, to which led me to create a dish that I'm still running, and it's like probably one of the more popular dishes that I'm selling right now. To the point where it's a bit of a pain in the ass because I hate making pasta, but this is a, a ravioli dish that the filling of which is inspired. Um, I, I, I go full pun on this with basically like the the dressing for dirty rice, but without the rice. <laughs> So it's, it's like sausage and pork and lots of chilies and, um, and chicken liver and uh, in pork part, I am using um, the, the jowl uh, of the pig. When that's cured like bacon, we, they call it guanacale. And another meaning uh, of the word guanacale is actually pillow, because that's the part of your face that you rest on pillow. So it is literally like an item that is often described as being pillowy <laughs> with something that is associated with dirty so and dirty items, pillows. The pillow. And it's been extremely popular and I wouldn't have thought of putting things together if it wasn't for Ralph. So I I, I appreciate his wisecrack. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. I like that a lot. That's great. Thank you, Chef Al. After the break for an action packed act. Three, including the part you've all been waiting for, the 2017 Kiss the Goat holiday song. Back in a little minute. This is a distress call from across time and space. I am Babs the automated biological support system for the humanoid known as the Witch. Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock is the weekly chronicle of his fight for survival and entertainment on the junk heap of the future. Episodes are transmitted in 15-minute pulses across the dimensional divide weekly for your listening pleasure. As you will learn, the future is not set in stone, and a flux capacitor is a girl's best friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Come join the rest of the Meat Popsicles in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash witch vs the doomsday clock. The replicant known as witch can be found on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr and Instagram by searching for T-H-E-W-Y-C-H. The Witch vs the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Now in the words of Lord Humongous. Just walk away, and there will be an end to the horror. Welcome back to Kiss the Goat, and it's time for the fastest movie breakdown on the internet. Three questions! Seven! No, no, honey, it's three questions. Yeah, but it's seven gigantic goddamn rum drinks! Just play the music. Questions! Stop! Who would cross the bridge of death must answer me these questions three? Yeah, the other side, you see. Question number one. Is this movie actually a Christmas movie? I don't see how it's not. Because even though the movie... Kind of breaks after the first act, and it's two years later. Everything's still taking place during the Christmas holiday, 
So, yeah, his wife dies over Christmas. The bridge collapses over Christmas. It's not a fucking happy Christmas movie. Well, I don't know. Maybe sort of. I'm confused about how I ambiguously feel about the ending. But I think it's, it's, I think it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. I agree. Totally a Christmas movie. Not Christmas-centric, but Christmas timeline-y. So, yes. Not even Christmas, Christmas not even Christmas-y. It's not even Christmas-y, but it's definitely a Christmas movie. You know, but I mean, you know, Santa doesn't show up, and there's no elves, but there's a goddamn Mothman. So, yeah, fucking... It's a... It's a Christmas angel. I do think the Mothman's an angel, but maybe I'll talk about that here in a minute. Question number two. On a scale of one to Krampus's low-key Yule Log, how many Jingle Bells would you give this movie? I would give this movie four Jingle Bells. Four Jingle Bells is is, is acceptable. I'm going to give it five just because um, it scares me on a lot of weird levels. And I know that there's... I have serious problems with this movie, but it kind of bypasses that. I don't know. I guess like while I watch it, the moth signal kind of hits me in the brain and it fucks <laughs> up my neural pathways. But yeah, this movie terrifies me. Even though there's some, you got to make some tremendous logic lapses. So I'm going to give it five <laughs> jingle bells. Yeah, my only serious problem with this movie is Richard Gere. You're such a hater. I've probably pontificated. Yeah, I've pontificated (laughs) on that enough. So finally, why should our listeners watch the Mothman prophecies, or should they? Well, first of all, it's scary, but it's not scary in your (laughs) tip. Well, it's not scary in your typical horror sort of way. Usually, horror movies you watch them and you're like, "Oh, this could never happen." So I'm removed from it, but I'm still kind of thrilled or titillated by the action this movie oh no this is so especially the third act with the bridge collapse that shit could so happen Mm -hmm. fuck yeah it doesn't have really much of any traditional horror movie tropes you know there's not a lot of bloodshed there's not some you know stalker run around chopping people up it's not a traditional ghost story it's not even really an alien horror story so you're left kind of unsettled you've got a lot of unanswered questions and you're not going to get the answers like that the the author character in here uh, leak says we're not allowed to know and so you're just left speculating and who the fuck likes that well but see that's where my theory gains strength that the mothman is a Christmas angel. I don't think he's a demon. I don't think he's an alien of any kind. I think he's an angel because also, like that character, Alexander Leake says, Richard Gere asks him if the Mothman was causing all the natural disasters that he shows up beforehand to kind of warn people about. And Leake says, why would they have to? So, the Mothman is not necessarily a bad guy, but he shows up as a harbinger. He's a warning. And that is very much a behavior that an angel, as we have been led to believe angels are, would, you you know, do. I had a better word than do, but I lost it because I've had a lot of rub. 
So I think the Mothman is an angel. I think he's essentially a good uh, entity warning people about what's about to happen, but only a few people can see it or hear it, and those people might be a little bit touched in the head to begin with because they've been affected by trauma in some way, shape, or form. So that in itself interests me where you know the concept that something could be talking to people who have experienced trauma like think if you're like PTSD victims who say they hear things or see things and I know that there are those people out there fuck they may not be wrong you know maybe it's just those are the kind of people that the mothman slash angels appear to because they can see them i mean imagine imagine being colorblind okay and somebody's trying to describe color to you and you're like i have no idea what the fuck you're talking about but i can see this other thing i could i see the world in a completely different spectrum to me that's like what it must be to be able to see angels or to be able to see the mothman i'm rambling i think at this point but i hope you get my point i don't think the mothman's bad i think he serves a very uh distinct purpose in warning people but the problem is he warns people that that other people don't listen to all right there you go <laughs> the mothman prophecies all wrapped up in a nice little package Pretty paper, pretty ribbons of blue. <laughs> I knew you were going to start singing at some point. <laughs> that's my, that's 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 my Roy Orbison impression. I, I know, honey. I know. <laughs> the candy colored clown they call the Sandman. All right, stop it! Stop it! It's time to settle down and. <laughs> Very nice. Stop it! <laughs> time to play america's favorite drinking game drink it with the devil where your love of bad movies meets your disdain for your own liver drink what when no no just just drink just Let's uh, drink every time you stop and think, is this Lost Highway? (laughs) Drink every time you see the moth signal. (laughs) Jesus, that's a lot. Drink every time John Klein answers the fucking telephone. Oh my God, do we count his answering machines too? (laughs) Yes. Oh God, we're all going to die. Drink every time you see the unblinking eye of Deborah Messing. <laughs> Speaking of dying. <laughs> and her holiday grandmaster challenge is drink every time the action either speeds up or slows down. <laughs> oh, you're going to be ripped to the tits if you play along with this movie. All right, dream babies. You've been sending your questions like good little boys and girls, and here's your reward. It's time for America's favorite game of questioning and answering, Ask the Goat, where we answer your questions and you question our answers. I'll send you a love letter. Straight from my heart, fucker. You know what a love letter is? It's a bullet from a fucking gun, fucker. You receive a love letter from me. 
You're fucked forever! As your beautiful High Priestess Cootie rummages through our festively malevolent mailbag... Rummage, rummage, rummage! Let me remind you that we are always ready and willing to interact with you out there in Radio Land. The easiest and fastest way to do that is by joining our Facebook group, which is on Facebook, wherever they keep the groups. With the groupies, I guess. Come hang out with us in our online common room where we talk about anything and everything. Just do a search for Kiss the Goat on your Facebook face, answer a few simple questions, and you shall be allowed into the unholy of unholies, where goat memes and glory await the brave. You can also give us a call on the goat line. 24 hours a day, you can leave a message with questions, answers, or just abstract declarative statements. The number is 865-309-4969. It's the magic number, kids. I thought please was the magic number. No, please is the magic word. Words are numbers. That's 865-309-4969 for the goat line. Or you can drop us an email at our email box address, which is thegoatofmadness at gmail.com. It's so easy, even I could do it. (laughs) Our first question comes from Mike Merriman, who wants to know, how much hot buttered rum will be consumed during the recording of this episode? And I honestly think that we've answered that fairly well. None of it. But Mike's question does raise another question. Please tell us, X, why drinking a ridiculous amount of rum and Coke is any different than drinking hot buttered rum? Well, for one, it's cold and refreshing. And there's no fucking butter in it. It's not like I forced my head behind a movie theater concession stand and just laid my skull back under the popcorn lube machine so I could just drink it straight, which is what hot buttered rum is like. Hot buttered rum is like drinking Last Tango in Paris. So rum and Coke is good. Hot buttered rum is what is not good. Well, all right then. Question next is from Vanessa McHenry, who asks, What Christmas song is most in need of the inclusion of the horned one? What Christmas song is most in need of the inclusion of the horned one? Yeah, man. Um, I would say, Oh, Holy Night. <laughs> Takes itself way too serious. You, you, you need some horn in that. I would say, I would say, What Child Is This? so somber and takes itself way too serious <laughs> what child is this with these big black horns <laughs> let's hear from donnie rings who has a question about refreshments he says so i got stuck hosting my coven's holidays celebration this year and i'm stuck on the liquid refreshments my spiked eggnog recipe from last year was a hit, but I'm fearful of repetition, and I found a simple fix with the blood of a sacrificed newborn and can't decide between them as I don't want to have too many leftovers if I offer both. Help? I am personally of the opinion that you cannot have too much drink refreshment at a party, so I definitely say go with both, dude. Go with both, man. I mean, there's probably a way for you to work the blood and do like a punch with like a big ice ring in it, you know? So you can have the eggnog because not everybody likes eggnog. Cootie doesn't like eggnog for fuck's sake. But you can put the. You know, but you know, a cold blood punch is really refreshing after, say, you know, a big plate full of sausage balls. So yeah, just do. 
I, I would do both and don't worry about the leftovers. I don't think you're going to have any. And if you do, you can send them to us. Um, just like email us and we'll give you the address. Yeah, just DM us on that one, dude. Uh, Martin D. Ford wants to know, for those who celebrate Hanukkah, how many babies are needed to bake 10 dozen Jew cookies? Um, Martin, <laughs> I think the Jews have had enough time in the ovens. Let's, oh let's, my God. let's give that a rest. Just saying, just saying. Rolf Pickler has an ethics question. Not sure we're the ones to ask about that, but we're going to do our best. Rolf says, I'm setting up my Yule temple on the front lawn. I'm almost done smearing the blood of my sacrifices to Odin on the walls of the structure, but the local farm ran out of goats, and my neighbor has a very convenient, annoying, yappy dog. Would it be rude just to take it? I think yappy dogs are like the trout of the suburbs. Yes. Couldn't have put that better myself. So, yeah, you can take it. Fuck. It's like they're a lot... There's like 18 more that can take its place. It's a yappy dog. Who gives a fuck? I mean, do you care? Like, if you're eating a hamburger, do you care that the cow that got ground up was named Bossy? No, you don't. You don't give a shit. So, yeah, fuck a yappy dog. Take that shit. Fuck a yappy dog. Fuck a yappy dog. Well, that's going to do it for... Crying out loud. I'm going to take this goddamn thing off the hook. Hello, what? Hey. It's me. Why are you calling me? Because we forgot a thing. What? We're in the same room, X. There's still something we have to do. Okay, so stop whispering. I can see you. It fit in with the show. <sighs> I'm hanging up now. If you're a longtime listener, you know that every year on the holiday extravaganza, we debut a brand new holiday song. I'm sure y'all remember last year's classic tune, Cornhole for Christmas. This year... <laughs> do you remember that? Fuck! I do. Stop! Stop remembering that. <laughs> no, this year we have a very special treat for all y'all. Cootie's going to sing y'all a little tune ripped from today's headlines, yet still catchy and fun to sing along with. Give her a big old kiss to goat welcome, and here she comes right up to the stage right now, the sweet little holiday tune. Give her a big hand, everybody. You sure look like a catch on Christian Mingle. Your profile picture made me sit and stare. I could not believe that you were single With your fancy job and all that pretty hair When you wanted to take me out for dinner I did my nails and bought a brand new dress So glad I wasn't sparking as a sinner Someone to treat me decent with respect them gold highlights was glowing and I felt just like a queen Until you backed me against the wall and you ripped out your peen You sorry motherfucker, I ought to kick your ass Don't show me your penis for Christmas I don't care if you're a film producer President. Most every girl wants someone to seduce her, but don't you pull that shit without consent. Hands off until I verbalize permission. I don't owe you a thing cause you're a man. Show me your heart and soul, not your 
your balls and hang them on my Christmas tree. Your daddy should have taught you, you need to be so crass. Come show me your penis for Christmas. Why don't you touch my Your dick in a box, step two is keep it there. I'll rip that cock off with my teeth and shove it up your rear. You can have a dip, but not be one. This isn't just back sass. Don't show me your penis for Christmas. Don't show me your penis for Christmas. Don't show me your penis for Christmas. I don't want to see that tiny thing of yours. Babies with thumbs bigger than that. Lord, son, what they do? Circumcise you with a pocket fisherman? Oh, I'll do worse than call the police. I'll go on Twitter, you rapey piece of horse shit. Oh, don't show me your penis for Christmas. Put that thing away. I'd rather jill off with a belt sander. Well, that's going to do it for the fourth annual Kiss the Goat Holiday Extravaganza. Thank you for listening. Shout out to Maine. <laughs> Thanks for all your letters and voicemails, kids. Thanks to Bo at Legion Podcast for not booting us off the internet. We'll see you next year. And however you decide to celebrate the holiday season, remember this. At least, at least it's, it's not, not Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. Holding chapstick, you can't.
can't recall your mother Mary can't be found by looking Aziz Yazdan Panna Eco Eco Azarak <coughs> We're professionals God damn it, okay Where the fuck is my fucking fish? It's almost 4 o'clock Rap is crap. Ugh. Ugh. Don't show me your weird Christmas. Wiener, 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 wiener. You move your.
your laptop around you look like Saidi, but not really. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> I built a small, small snowman. God damn it! A small snowman. Small. Uh huh. He was smallish. It was like a snail. Snailish, smallish. Snailish, smallish snailman. Actually, didn't script this part out, so now I have to actually like, come up with an actual conversation. Yeah, I can, I can sell enough, you know, semen to, to, to make that amount of money. But I hate it when I get floppy mic. <laughs> it's the holidays. It happens all the time. <laughs> I got whiskey mic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Back in three, two. So the fire chief wrap this up and do what? Oh fuck yeah! Pudding makes everything better. I feel my balls just ascending up into my abdomen. It's okay. We can coax them back now with pudding. Oh, I thought you said hold on. That's why I held. You can stop holding. Stop holding. Stop holding. Okay. Uh, well, n not if you're holding that. Shit. Just hold that and give me like ten minutes. Like a kiss for you. you know, kiss the goat holiday extravaganza is really fun to say. <laughs> That's why I keep using it. Oh god, this was the right night to do this. Okay. You gonna make it? Fuck yeah! Okay. Ooh, professional. How you feeling? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good, pretty good. I hate to pee. But yeah, I think we're we can call this we're, we're um uh-huh yeah, we're done. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool.